Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Shepherd of Lakes Lutheran Church for worship today. Today we look at the first of a series of three readings from Romans chapter 8. I once had a uh, teacher in high school say, if you ever memorized anything from the Bible, memorize Romans chapter 8. And if you did that for his class, you got an A for the entire thing. So it's a good thing that we look at Romans chapter 8 today, and especially God's comfort during suffering and the longing that the Christian heart knows through faith. The entire service is outlined for you in your service folder. We'll be following Divine Service 2 from the Christian Worship Supplement. The opening hymn is printed for you there. God bless your worship. service folder, please rise. And we begin today, as always, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Dear friends, 
Let us approach God with a true heart and confess our sins, asking him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to forgive us. Lord of life, I confess that I am by nature dead in sin, for faithless worrying and selfish pride, for thoughtless sin and sin I have willfully chosen, for the evil I have done and the good I have failed to do. You should cast me away from your presence forever. O Lord, I am sorry for my sin. Forgive me for Jesus' sake. Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. In his great mercy, God made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. Hear the word of Christ through his called servant. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the well-being of all people everywhere, that they may receive from you all they need to sustain body and life. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the spread of your life-giving gospel throughout the world, that all who are lost in sin may be brought to faith in you. Hear our prayer, O Christ. Christ, have mercy. For patience and perseverance in this life, that we may not lose the hope of heaven as we await your return. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord of life, live in us, that we may live for you. Let us respond to God's grace in the song of the angels. Glory to God in the highest.
Our first reading comes from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, two short verses where we see that God's word always works, bringing glory to the Lord. Just as the rain and the snow come down from the sky, and do not return there unless they water the earth, making it give birth and causing it to sprout, and it gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so it will be with my word that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. Rather, it will accomplish whatever I please, and it will succeed in the purpose for which I sent it. Our psalm for today is Psalm 65, found in the front part of your red hymnal on page 89. Set free from slavery to corruption 
in order to share in the glorious freedom of the children of God. For we know that all of creation is groaning with birth pains right up to the present time. And not only of creation, but also we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We ourselves groan inwardly while we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Indeed, it is for this hope that we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, because who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for something we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with patient endurance. This is the word of our God. Our theme verse is printed for you there. Alleluia. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart, so you may obey it. Alleluia. Because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked it. But some seed fell in good ground and produced grain, some one hundred times, some sixty, and some thirty times more than what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So listen carefully to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The seed that was sown on rocky ground is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he is not deeply rooted and does not endure. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he immediately falls away. The seed that was sown among the thorns is the one who hears the word, but the worry of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it produces no fruit. But the seed that was sown on the good ground is the one who continues to hear and understand the word. Indeed, he continues to produce fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty times more than what was sown. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Thanks be to God. I invite you to turn to page 18 in the front part of your red hymnal, where you'll find our confession of faith, the nice thing to do. The Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, 
eternally be God's and the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became fully human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate, he suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated for our next hymn, number 255.
Dear fellow redeemed, we consider briefly our reading from Romans chapter 8. In a perfect world, in a perfect world, what we really need, the inventions that we've got, take something as simple as glasses. You go to the optometrist, you get a prescription, you can buy glasses online and have it shipped to your door for 30 bucks. And somebody who may have, in previous ages and previous years and previous centuries, may have gone blind by the time they were into their 30s or 40s, that person is able to drive and see clearly well into their 70s and their 80s. But in a perfect world, we wouldn't need glasses. In a perfect world, we wouldn't need heart medication. We wouldn't need prosthetic limbs. We wouldn't need hip replacements or canes. In a perfect world, what would that look like? In a perfect world, we wouldn't have to worry about smog and pollution. We wouldn't have to worry about driving species to extinction or bulldozing tracts of rainforest and have to balance that out using the resources of this world and to provide for people and using up the resources of this world the human mismanagement of all that God has given to us really wouldn't exist in a perfect world in a perfect world we wouldn't be continually looking and waiting for our politicians to fix our lives. Because there would be nothing to fix. We wouldn't be a nation divided against each other through any sort of, of line, whether talking about race or ethnicity, salary, ideology. In a perfect world, there would be none of that. Have you ever considered that? That in a perfect world, we wouldn't have to have something such as a, a funeral. We wouldn't have to worry about children or grandchildren traveling on the road. In a perfect world, even we Christians would be absolutely united because in a perfect world where everybody knew the Lord and where everybody adhered to His Word, there would be no squabbles about what God's word actually says. Because in a perfect world, in a perfect world, God's people would be completely and visibly united. United for the same sole purpose of bringing praise to our glorious God. In a perfect world, we won't have to worry about things like environmental chemicals, and cancer. We won't have to worry about asthma, arthritis. We would have to worry about homeless people. Worry for them. We won't have to worry about medication. Needing a particular medication that will finally relieve me of my pain. We won't have to worry about the flip side, addiction to medication and what appears to be kind of a, a burgeoning heroin epidemic in our country. In a perfect world, think of your own life.
what would be different? Work would be a joy. Family life would always be harmonious, with never a care or a worry. There would be never a, a pink slip, never an argument, even better than what Garrison Keillor pictures for us in Lake Wobegon. In a perfect world, <coughs> pick them up and throw them away. But I like seeing you guys. Because we're not in a perfect world. Now are we? And how is the Christian supposed to react? When we look at this world and we recognize things like pollution, and, and we recognize that the mission of God's church is to preach Christ crucified and to hold forth the word of life to a dying world. And that we recognize that God has placed upon our shoulders the mantle of vocation, whether as husband or wife, father or mother, single person, citizen, employee. All of these obligations that seem incredibly more, immensely more difficult, simply because we do not live in a perfect world. And in this far less than perfect world, even though, even though what God says there in Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, is absolutely certain and true, Romans chapter 5, that simply because Jesus Christ shares your humanity from the moment of his incarnation, nine months before Christmas, and for the rest of all eternity, even though Jesus Christ shares your humanity, and because of that fact, you as a human being have been declared not guilty, even though that's the case, God says to your child, you're still going to feel the effects of sin and sorrow and suffering. And every bit of pain in this life that you will ever experience, at some point along the line, traces the answer and the reason why back to the problem of sin. And the sin that our first parents, Adam and Eve, brought into the world. The sin that you and I were born into. And the sin of others. Or simply, the corruption of this body by sin, where the eyes don't function as they should, the knees don't function as they used to, where the body doesn't regenerate the way it's supposed to. Every bit of suffering that you experience today, or yesterday, or tomorrow, is at some point along the line the result of sin. Sometimes it's suffering that we've brought upon ourselves. Sometimes it's the suffering that others in power have inflicted. Think of, you know, any of the nefarious dictators over the course of history, where God had placed them in power and given them the responsibility to take care of their people, and they used that position for personal gain and to inflict harm upon the people God had committed to their care. And it's really only in this sort of a context that the Christian church talks about the environment, talks about the proper understanding of government. Because Paul says, we don't live in a perfect world. You and I know, know that all too well. 
Good question, then. Where do we really stand? And when is it going to change? Because the constant temptation and the constant accusation along the line is that you, Christian, Satan likes to whisper, you, Christian, have brought this upon yourself because look at what you did. He loves nothing more than to tempt Christians into sin and then throw it back in their faces as much as he can so that the Christian even despairs and says, Pastor, I know what you're saying about the forgiveness of sins as an objective fact simply because I'm a human being. I understand that. And I understand that I've been baptized. And I understand that God gives me his forgiveness once more at the Lord's table. But, Pastor, I just don't feel like I'm really forgiven. Like, can I really forgive myself? But even there, the corruption of sin weaves its way in. The quiet denial. Forgiveness is not mine. The whispering. The temptation. Forgiveness is for somebody else. But as for me, well, I'm not forgiven until I can forgive myself. Of course, God's answer to all of that is the objective fact stated again that Jesus has washed away your sin, that he bought you, you were buried with him and raised with him in your baptism, and that because this Jesus literally walked out of the tomb, body and soul reunited on that third day after his crucifixion, because this is the fact, God repeats, you are his. And there is nothing for you to worry about. But it's the dilemma, and it's the tension of, of recognizing that I know what God says. That this is the spiritual reality. But the physical reality that I see with my eyes, and that I experience with my heart, and that, that I have to deal with, with my own health, the physical reality all shouts to the contrary. It all shouts to the contrary that how can God love you? The eyes, the arthritic knees, the replaced joints, the pollution, the division, all of them, almost like all of creation is testifying that yes, there is something wrong. And his heart wonders, is it me? God's answer, thankfully, is yes. And that yes, he has solved that problem. That yes, Romans chapter 6, you are baptized into Christ Jesus. You have been raised with him. Your sin has been forgiven. You have new life with Christ. And so, you and I still live in this world, and God basically says, you've got a little bit of spiritual myopia. Myopia is that a fancy term for nearsightedness. It's fairly common, and I'm sure even more common among people who work in front of computers, or have to work at a desk and constantly focusing at a short distance. Myopia. 
that is corrected through glasses or contact lenses or laser surgery. And God says, let me diagnose for you spiritual myopia, nearsightedness. Jesus talks about it for us. The seed sown on the path, snatched away. The seed sown on the shallow soil springs up, but has no root. And most of all, the seed sown among the weeds and the thorns, choked out by the worries and cares and deceitfulness of wealth in this world. God says here, see life as I see it. Paul writes, I conclude that our sufferings at the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. In fact, creation is waiting with eager longing for the sons of God to be revealed. In other words, God says, yes, you're Christian. You're living in a world of sin and death and pain. You're living in a world where even creation itself is in open rebellion and subjected to frustration. Because in a perfect world, we wouldn't need tornado sirens or weather reports. In a perfect world, we wouldn't have to worry about tsunamis or volcanoes or the attacks of wild animals. In a perfect world, humans would exercise perfect dominion over the creation that God has committed to our care. But what he says here, we're not in this perfect world. True. So take heart. I conclude that our sufferings at the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. That's the first of three solid, rock-solid encouragements here in Romans chapter 8. To Christians who are living in an imperfect world, to Christians who are struggling with an imperfect heart, who are still working against that sinful flesh that we heard about in Romans chapter 7, to Christians who suffer the effects of life and death in an imperfect world. Even the little death of the ability to see slowly fading away, the ability to hear fading away, or the bigger death of accident, disease, or old age. To all that, God says, you Christian, you know what life in an imperfect world is like. You know what it means to walk down through the valley of death, of the shadow of death, and never seeming to be able to find the bottom to it. And never seeming to be able to find the end to it. You know what it's like to have to struggle and to feel that pain that has lodged in your heart like a thorn over some loss, maybe some physical malady, Maybe the emotional pain of worry or anxiety. God says, you know that. And if you could just picture that, just picture that, because this is, this is the important part. Picture that pain, that suffering that you've experienced as a whole. Maybe six feet deep, maybe deeper. Picture it as a physical hole in the earth, hole in your own heart, whatever the case may be, I conclude that our sufferings at the present time 
are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. And God says, dear Christian, that is where you are, and that is what you know, but take heart and wait. Because I'm going to fill it up. God doesn't simply to promise to say, I'm going to fill that up so that the hole, however deep you dug it, that hole is just going to be filled up to, to ground level once more. God says, that hole that you've got in mind there, you picture it as your you know, little six foot, eight foot hole, whatever it may be. Try to stuff Mount Everest into that. And then try to, try to stuff in the rest of the Himalayas. And God says, I know. I know your heart. I know what you've had to walk through. I know what you've felt and thought and worried about. And God says, I've got more mountains to fill up those holes in your life. I conclude that our sufferings of the present time aren't even worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Paul says, I recognize, for instance, Pastor Hagen, your vision is what, 2040, 2050? Just on the borderline for needing glasses, but give it five more years. And God says, well, you know, when creation is restored, it's not that you're just going to not need glasses. So that you're going to be able to see, like with the vision of an eagle, spotting a fish swimming through the water 200 yards away. God says, as for you, that arthritic knee, that replaced joint, it's not that you'll just be able to walk pain-free for the first time in years. It's that you'll be able to run faster than Usain Bolt jump farther than Carl Lewis. The pain of this world, the creation groaning, God says, just wait. The picture that he has time and again in the Old Testament is of the lion and the lamb laying down next to each other and sending your toddler out to play in the backyard. Sending the toddler out to play, knowing that that child is completely safe, there are no, no criminals in the area, no car that can touch them, and even though the backyard is riddled with the nest of vipers, kind of like one of those terrifying things to see on, on uh, the History Channel, maybe, or the Discovery Channel, where it's this giant pit of thousands of the most dangerous snakes in the world, go out and play. It's okay. They're friendly. They're not going to hurt you. Go and let your children play with the wolves at the zoo. Let them jump into the gorilla enclosure or the, the bear enclosure because really we don't need an enclosure in a perfect world. Total harmony, total restoration of everything that was lost. And more than restoration of everything that was lost at the fall into sin, but even more, overabundantly reforming and remaking and reshaping this world so that even the, the deepest pain that you have ever felt won't even be remembered. And not just forgotten like you've finally been able to put it out of your mind even though it's been there for who knows how long, but won't even be remembered because what was lost will have been restored 
to more than overflowing your perfect world. Paul says, that perfect world is coming. And so there is every reason for Christians, you and me, to take heart. To recognize, yes, there are responsibilities that God has given us in this world. The vocations of family and work and church. Yes, there is a world that God has entrusted to our care as a matter of Christian stewardship. And there is the vocation of citizen as we work together in this society and strive to alleviate suffering. But God says, here, the best and greatest and most perfect way to eliminate any sort of suffering isn't by starting out a Save the Whales campaign or Save the Rainforest, but it's by, it's by holding on to this truth of the one perfect man who has given his perfection to you and who promises, who promises that he has carried every single bit of your pain and the pain of creation and who promises that, yes, at the end of time, you will see with your own eyes, with no need for glasses, with no myopia, but with perfect spiritual and physical sight united, you will see with your own eyes, together with all believers, the glory of our Lord, as he will have restored and remade that absolutely perfect world. So what does that look like? The best way I can say is by describing what won't be there. If you look at the end of Revelation, you'll see God try and do the same thing of describing what will be there. Perfect body. No pain, no death, no mourning. Perfect restoration, perfect fellowship and union among his people, kneeling before the one who is perfect and has given you his perfection, who has said to Christian, here's your glasses. Keep that in mind. Here's the cure for spiritual myopia, spiritual nearsightedness, which so often and so easily fixates on the problems and worries and cares of this world. God says here, that world is coming, and it's yours today. Believe it. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God that goes beyond all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. You may be seated as we worship the Lord with our offering.
In our prayers today, we include a prayer for Edward Schmidt, a member at Trinity Lutheran Church of Crete, Illinois. Um, His family was taken to heaven this past week in a car accident. We also pray for Denise Malcolm, uh, currently hospitalized at the Sanford Hospital in Sioux Falls. And finally, we pray for God's blessing upon our VBS this next week. Please rise. Almighty and everlasting God, with joy we declare, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In your merciful love, you have taken to yourself Lindsay, Caleb, Weston, Owen, and their unborn child. Although we do not understand your ways, help us to humbly follow you as you lead us through this life. Help us put our trust in your unfailing love. Comfort especially Edward Schmidt, the Schmidt family, and the Rikers family, as well as your congregation at Trinity in Crete, Illinois. Comfort them with the assurance of holy baptism and the resurrection of the dead at the end of time. And most of all, that these who have taken from this life are alive to you today, standing before you in holiness and perfection of heaven. And gracious Father, in your wisdom, you have permitted your servant Denise Malcolm to be injured in an accident. While we do not fully understand your purpose in allowing this to take place, we are assured by your word that in all things you work for the good of your children. We thank you for sparing her life and pray that you would permit her recover from her injuries. Give her patience and a faith that humbly and thankfully submits to your will and direction each day for the sake of Jesus our Savior. Finally, Lord, we ask that you continue to bless the efforts of this congregation, especially this next week, as we carry out our VBS for the children of this community. Grant that many may come to hear your saving name and to find out about building their faith on you, the rock and the foundation of eternal life. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue on page 8 in your service folder with Holy Communion. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is good and right so to do. It is truly good and right that we should at all times and in all places give you thanks. O Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Everlasting God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, who has called us to be his own, so that we may live under him in his kingdom, and serve him with everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. Therefore, with all the saints on earth and hosts of heaven, we praise your holy name, and join their glorious song.
We praise and thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. And we remember the great acts of love through which he has ransomed us from sin, death, and the devil's power. By his incarnation, he became one with us. By his perfect life, he fulfilled your holy will. By his innocent death, he overcame hell. By rising from the grave, he opened heaven. Invited by your grace and instructed by your word, we approach your table with repentant and joyful hearts. Strengthen us through Christ's body and blood, and preserve us in the true faith, until we feast with him and all his ransomed people in glory everlasting. And we join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Savior Jesus Christ, given and shed for you, for the forgiveness of all your sins. Take and drink. This is the true blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given and shed for you, for the forgiveness of all your sins. Take and drink. 
may this true body and blood of our Savior strengthen and preserve him in the true faith until the life everlasting. Depart at peace with God. Your sins are forgiven. Amen. Savior Jesus Christ, given into death for the forgiveness of all your sin. Take and eat. This is the true body of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, given into death.
continue on page 10 in your service folder with the Song of Simeon. Please rise.
morning once again. Special welcome to the guest worshiping with us today. The announcements, I usually like to limit them to three uh, that are printed in the bulletin. Um, there's actually like five, and they're all somewhat important, or uh, you can read for yourself and cross out the ones that don't apply to you. Perhaps the most noteworthy of the bunch is that um, I was a little lax in getting the park reserved, and so uh, Jim Helton got the park reserved for September 10th. It was unavailable for the weekend that we would normally have worship in the park. Um, so maybe, maybe a few leaves turning, but it should be a nice day as well. Um, if you're wondering where Desiree was today, uh, she was just driving up to the airport to pick up her mom. Her mom's going to be here for a couple of weeks. And um, no doubt the niece from there, of course. Let's see, what else? Oh, this past Monday, um, I received a phone call from the chairman of the congregation at St. John's Lutheran Church in Two Rivers, Wisconsin. Um, that's north of Milwaukee, about 45 minutes or an hour. Um, I received a call to serve as associate pastor for St. John's Lutheran Church. It's a congregation of 920, and um, yeah, they've been around since, like, I don't know, 1864 or so. Um, and so for the next two weeks or so, we'll be deliberating, or I'll be deliberating that. Um, particularly, you know, hoping for your insight about um, where my strengths might, or my weaknesses might be compensated for, or my strengths might uh, serve the community best. Um, I guess that's about all to say to that. We can talk about it a little bit more during Bible class if you would like, and um, any other input that you would have would be wonderful. And at the back table, yeah, two thumbs up, uh, we've got a cake. Because last night, um, we had a private baptism for Amelia Ulrich, and uh, that's Travis, Travis Ulrich's daughter, and Travis's fiance Ventura um, was also baptized. So we've got a double baptism. Um, we'll be finishing up classes with Ventura um, probably in the next couple of weeks, and uh, move forward from there. So we've got a cake to celebrate that, because that's always a happy occasion. And not to single you guys out, but I think I will if you'd like to stand in the back there and people can kind of congratulate you. <laughs> if the baby's sleeping, don't, don't disturb her, obviously. Um, so, there we go. God bless your week. 